I finally did it. I got rid of all those CDs I was talking about, or complaining about, rather, in episode 13. Uh, I had over a thousand CDs, and now I have 25. (laughs) I'm going to give you the list of survivors and talk about how good it feels to get rid of things I don't need. Welcome to the Coffee Buzz. I am Brad. Thank you for stopping by. I'm doing this episode blindfolded, actually, as part of my bird box challenge. It's uh, going on three days now with the blindfold, and uh, it's getting a little tricky. Got to got to stay off the highways. <laughs> but uh, I'm kidding. This uh, this whole craze is uh, just kind of proof to me just how bored and uh, desperate for attention some people are. I I saw one video where this guy was doing it while walking through this busy intersection, and uh, I have to say, maybe we should just encourage it. Uh, You know, that way we get a little social Darwinism going on. (laughs) But uh, instead of watching the Bird Box Challenge, I started binging the Netflix series Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. She's this organizational guru who has written a few books. I think Randy actually recommended her book to me after he heard episode 13, but it wasn't until the show came along that I learned about her method. And it's a reality TV show format uh, where her clients, they're not exactly hoarders, um, but like myself, they just lack some basic uh, fundamental organizational skills. Uh, I apologized to all my former roommates uh, that had to endure my mess in the my lack of organizational skills. But uh, the thing that appealed to me right away about this is that Marie doesn't really approach the situation uh, from a judgmental standpoint. She always finds something that she likes about the home. Uh, just to kind of break the ice. And then she introduces herself to the home. And the way she does this, she quietly sits on the floor for a few minutes with her eyes closed in sort of a meditative posture and sort of thanks the home and says hello, if you will. Uh, During this ritual, her clients are silent and they hold hands sometimes. Uh, Some of them get tearful. Uh, It's... They're, they're moved by this whole experience. And I never thought about doing that, but it seems like it might be a good thing to do, just thanking your home for, for all the comfort and protection that it brings you. Her method is deceptively simple. It, uh, she has the clients begin with clothing, uh, then they move on to books, and then paper documents, and then it's called kimono, which means miscellaneous in Japanese. And it encompasses the kitchen, the bathroom, the garage. Uh, And then they finish up with a final category, which is sentimental items. And I think her order in this whole thing is genius. Um, Every time that I've kind of wanted to get organized, spring clean or declutter it, I just never really knew where to start. And 
my house for the most part is presentable. You know, if uh, people come over, they would not think that I have any kind of a mess. Um, but the closets, the garage, uh, if they saw those, they might have some judgment for me. Um, what's crazy about this process is that I'm learning that I'm a lot more attached to things than I thought. Um, for me, the clothes part was a pretty easy step. I, it took me a while because when I pulled out all the clothes from the drawers and the closet and I put them on the bed, yeah, I was a little overwhelmed by the pile, just the sheer mass of clothes. And what you do with her method, and it might sound a little silly at first, but you hold each garment and you ask yourself, does it spark joy? And um, for her, what that means, uh, sparks joy, is you feel it when you hold a puppy or when you wear your favorite outfit. It's a warm, positive feeling. That's how it feels when sparking joy. That's Marie Kondo. Um, your sensitivity to joy will be honed as you progress through the tidying process. And I did feel a little bit silly uh, talking to my clothes <laughs> because if you don't want to keep the garment, you, you thank it for all of its service and, you know, uh, everything that it's done for you. Um, but I will say that even though this seemed a little silly at first, uh, when I got the, to these CDs, uh, this, it came in handy. And apparently I have had a hard time letting go of books, movies, and CDs. Um, I never really knew that about myself. Um, with those items, you know, her method, she says, uh, you have to ask, is this something I need in my future? So with the CDs, uh, what I did is I only kept the ones I would need if we had some sort of post-apocalyptic world where the internet no longer existed and only physical media could play music. So that probably sounds ridiculous to you, um, but it was the way that I rationalized getting rid of 975 other CDs that I had in boxes, in crates. Um, they had been sitting in those for years, just in the closets. I think I got my first iPod in 2007, and once I had that, uh, all my music that used to be in CDs was no longer even on display. Um, Kim did share a quote with me that um, really resonated. It's not Marie Kondo, but I think she would probably agree with it. And, and they say this, people have a hard time letting go of items for two reasons, either an attachment to the past or a fear of the future. For me, on the CDs, it's both <laughs> of those. Uh, I have a post-apocalyptic scenario where it's, uh, you know, definitely fear involved there with, with no streaming music. There's something about the way that Kondo explains the goals of her process that, that really get the clients to open up. Um, that's the difference between tidying up and most other reality shows. There's no sense of competition and the makeover is not dramatic it's just regular people getting organized and happier uh, and more at ease in their own home um, Kondo doesn't scold or shame or criticize you know 
the way she looks at it is things either spark joy or they don't and whatever is fine. Basically, you do you. <laughs> Just be organized about it. I've watched this show, Hoarders, and it never inspired me to clean. In fact, it sort of enabled me to be happy with my organized chaos because I could look at the people on TV with all of their stuff and say, well, I'm not this bad. You know, it's okay. I don't have a mountain of things. <laughs> I just have stuff in places where people can't see them. Um, this show inspired me to take action and I'm not done yet. Uh, still, still got about half to go, but I think we just finished paper uh, a few days ago. I can't wait to get done. I think there's it's going to take me a full month to work through this process. I still have the kitchen and the garage, which are my Everest. But I did manage to reduce my CD collection from 1,000 down to 25. And I don't think these are the greatest albums of all time. I just want to be clear on that. They're just the ones that I wanted to hold on to out of the thousand that were packed away. And uh, I thought I would uh, share some of these, see what you think. The first one I pulled out was uh, as a must-have was Nirvana's Nevermind. Uh, this whole album just kind of woke me up from the bad hair metal cheesy rock that I was listening to at the time. I think that was probably the mid to late 80s that I was just in this horrible uh, phase where it was like Warrant, Winger, Bon Jovi. I mean, nothing against those bands, but uh, Nirvana sort of got me out of that funk. And um, this album for me was a milestone just in a, from a musical journey standpoint. Um, they just led me to appreciate lyrics and different styles. Uh, I think Stevie Ray Vaughan was probably the coolest thing in my collection up until this one. And uh, Kurt Cobain hated the production on this album. He thought that it was just too polished and it didn't properly represent them. And I can see that, uh, what, he's what he was talking about there, because when I go back and listen to In Utero or Bleach, uh, they're definitely a different sound. But I don't think I would have been exposed to Nirvana or liked them as much had it not had that polished sound. Um, it just got that radio treatment and it... Uh, at the right, right place, right time for that one. The last CD I actually purchased was Father John Misty's I Love You Honey Bear. And it's fairly safe to say that uh, I'm obsessed with Father John Misty. <laughs> Kim says I have uh, man love for him. What really draws me in to this album is that he approaches music from a satirical, almost cartoonish approach. Uh, the first horn break on the uh, track Chateau Lobby number four, that alone is worth keeping this one around. Uh, that song is perfect. I mean, 10 out of 10. The This guy goes back and forth between entertaining the audience and challenging them. This album strikes that perfect balance between those two sides. Um, I'll post a video on my website uh, where he is playing on Letterman uh, in support of this album. And it is a perfect 
introduction if uh, if you if you're not too familiar with him. Okay, next up is Tool Ienema. They uh, there's a practical side to keeping around Tool CDs, and that is that they do not sell their music on any streaming platform or iTunes. It's incredibly inconvenient as a fan. But despite all of that, they have a huge following. Uh, they will take years between albums. I think we're going on 10 years since the last album. And uh, they are, the fan base just doesn't go anywhere. That's how great they are. Um, but this album, to date anyway, is my favorite. When I first heard them back in the 90s, I'll be honest, I just didn't get it. It was pretty dark. Uh, it, it was something I'd never heard before. In the first album, which I now love, uh, it just didn't pull me in the way that Ianima did. And when that one came out, it just instantly hooked me. And I usually don't like uh, interlude tracks where it's either talking or something unrelated to a song a, on an album. I just like my albums to get down to business and play the music. But on this album, it has five of those tracks out of 15. And they really work well. Um, now, they're not particularly compelling just on their own, but they they serve a really good purpose as kind of a palate cleanser. They give a chance for the ear to rest so the guitars don't just all run together. It's one of those that I keep going back to. Um, even 20 years after, though, I, I think I still don't fully understand the meaning of the, of the lyrics. But it's, uh, it's definitely a keeper. So this one is probably no surprise, but I had to keep Springsteen's Nebraska. Um, after Born in the USA... This album was really the first one I kind of sank my teeth into um, from the boss. And I had heard the earlier records uh, he put out, like The River and Songs from Ashbury Park. I just couldn't get into those at first. I think it, I was just used to that anthem sound from Born in the USA. And it was just too big of a leap to go from there <laughs> to, uh, say, the Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle. But Nebraska was the perfect gateway album. Um, he recorded this on his four-track cassette recorder. And I think Steve has one of these. It's a Porta Studio 144. Um, the tracks were supposed to be just demos and eventually recorded with the E Street Band, but he he decided to just go with the original recordings that he did. For this and I'm so glad because it's it's brilliant it's just raw and uh, just has this haunting feel to it and I love the other albums with the E Street Band but Nebraska will always be the one I'm also keeping Beck's Wero uh, not only because I love it but it was the first CD Kim bought me and we had just started dating when this one came out this isn't his most critically acclaimed, but I love it. It's uh, more of a polished, more focused version of Odile. It's just got this kaleidoscope of sounds. I mean, you've got jumble pop, hip hop, indie rock. My favorite track is Keonda Wero. It reminds me of driving down Cesar Chavez in downtown Austin to pick him up 
uh, back in the day. I'd pass these pinata shops and taco dive restaurants. It was a uh, it was a great soundtrack for that street. And then there's John Coltrane. Uh, you gotta have some jazz in there, right? His album Blue Train is definitely the jazz album that I listen to the most. Um, there's just a a sense of t- both tension and relaxation just kind of permeates throughout this album, and it sucks you in. Um, I rarely just listen to one track. Um, this is a kind of a start to finish album for me. Um, and it's, it's an excellent place to start with John, you know, because he does in the later periods get more experimental and, um, just more sort of out there. But this one is definitely still got that tone and power, um, that he's famous for. The first thing anybody uh, will notice about Coltrane is the sheer volume and speed that he plays with. It is uh, arguably, you could say, I think, that he's probably the greatest jazz improviser of all time. And not just amongst sax players either. I'm I'm thinking uh, even Miles Davis. I mean, I love Miles, but um, this CD from Coltrane will, will always be on my shelf. And then there's Dylan. Gotta have some Dylan. uh, Bringing it all back home. It goes without saying, for me anyway, that Dylan is probably the most prolific songwriter of all time. And I'm not a fan of every album. It's hard to put out 36 studio albums that everybody will love. But I'm a huge fan of Bringing It All Back Home. Yeah, this one was recorded in 1965. Um, Bob hit the studio in on January 13th and finished in three days. He did a few of the songs in just one take, like Maggie's Farm, uh, Gates of Eden. It's just crazy to me that anybody can knock out a piece of work like this in three days. Um, This album is where he infamously went electric. Uh, When you hear it, you might not really appreciate the dramatic effect that it had at the time, but up until this point in Dylan's career, he was just this uh, acoustic troubadour and he just shattered that image on this record and I I don't know what can I say I love a good rebel uh, and Dylan plays that role effortlessly I decided to keep Pearl Jam uh, their debut album 10 it's the one that started it all for me with Pearl Jam and I talked about Nirvana earlier their appeal was huge Um, But it wasn't universal. Rock radio still viewed Nirvana as too raw, too punk, even with that polished album. And uh, some hard rock fans were even dismissive because they were just weird misfits. They didn't know how to to place them in their head. Um, And it's easy to see why Pearl Jam, it just clicked with more of a massive audience. Uh, They weren't as sort of metallic, I'll say, as like Alice in Chains or Soundgarden. Um, and of the Seattle's Big Four, their sound was the closest to classic rock. Eddie Vedder has one of the best voices in rock. It's instantly recognizable with this warm, rich texture. Uh, the album is also just decorated with Mike McCready's wah guitar sound those solos and uh there's also the amazing bass lines from jeff amit 
and uh, his performance in Jeremy is probably what the most important factor other than the the lyrics it just gives the song that dark tone and uh, the lyrical content of this album is is both deep it addresses some of society's problems and then at other times it's just kind of simply about mundane life uh, definitely a must-have the last one I'm going to talk about is Nutramok Hotel's Airplane Over the Sea. This one did the same thing for me that Nirvana did back in the early 90s. And that's to completely turn my musical interest on its head. Uh, I, at the time, I was heavy into grunge. Uh, when I first heard this one, it came out, I'd say, in the late 90s. And this one is anything but grunge. Jeff Mangum is the driving force behind the band, and it's an experimental indie rock uh, band. It just has so many sonic textures to it, especially on this album. You've got singing saws and these big horns and faint sort of ambient background sounds that are just mixed throughout the album. Airplane Over the Sea is it's personal, but it's a personal album, but not in the way you would expect. It's not a biography. It's just a, a record of images, associations, and it has this imagery of a beautiful, sad dream. It's like Jeff Mangum's inner child is just talking to you. Um, it, it has this daunting sadness that just does not let up throughout the album. Every song just advances that feeling. And it can get a little emotional. Um, his vocals are intense. Uh, I tried to cover Two-Headed Boy um, years ago, and I could just never nail it. Um, I just didn't have the lung power to make it through. <laughs> but um, The King of Carrot Flowers, that song has one of my favorite refrains ever. It says, um, what a beautiful face I have found in this place that is circling all around the sun. And when we meet in the cloud, I'll be laughing out loud. I'll be laughing with everyone I see. Can't believe how strange it is to be anything at all. That one gives me chills every time. And maybe you have to hear it on the song and just <laughs> hear me read it to you. I would highly encourage that. Um, and I'll say this, if I could only keep one CD out of the whole thousand, this one would be it, <laughs> for sure. Thank you for listening to me reminisce about all these CDs. I'll uh, post a playlist on my blog. You can find that at thecoffeebuzzpodcast.com, along with some other items of interest. At least I find them interesting. <laughs> I hope you do too. Thanks again. And until next week, stay tidy.